Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Hi, it's Hartel, Monday, January the 10th, year of our Lord, 2022 is well underway. We hope you had a good weekend. We hope you and yours are well wherever you are across the street or around the world. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Little different program for a couple of reasons. One is uh, we're not only going to talk about COVID on the show, but I got it. Uh, I'm still pretty under the weather. Don't feel great. Uh, trying to soldier on as best we can, but it is limiting what I do to a certain extent. Uh, So this is going to be a little bit of a different program, but it worked out. We have a great guest, uh, Morgan Stevens, uh, who is going to talk about long COVID, her experience with COVID. Uh, She's also a journalist. She works with CNN. She's also an opinion writer. She has a lot of different angles to talk about this, but most importantly, She is a patient of it. She was in one of the earlier waves of COVID. She will talk about that experience, but she really got sick after the fact and having these long COVID symptoms that they don't really have great definitions for now, but we'll also update her story because she wrote about it back in July. We'll cover that piece. What has she learned since then? And how did that take her even going overseas looking for answers? And as a journalist, we're going to talk to her about how journalists are covering this, network news, regular journalists, whatever. COVID is a unique story, and we get into this with Morgan a little bit. Uh, It is one of the rare cases in human history. Think of it this way. Turn down all the noise on the politics of it and the cultural wars, people arguing over masks and mandates and all that. Just turn all that down for a second and understand and discern the times we live in. This is a unique period in history where COVID-19 is a unique event where the entire world is dealing with the same problem at the same time. That doesn't happen very often, where a household, no matter where it is on the planet, is dealing with COVID-19, at least knowing about it or having to deal with it specifically as a disease. That's really rare. And we're learning a lot about ourselves, about how our media covers things, about how our news media reports on things. And we're learning both the marvels of our medical sciences, where they can develop these vaccines and other treatments rapidly, but the limits of that medical science, that they still have a lot to learn, that they have to adapt quickly, that things like COVID-19, the long symptoms where they don't even have a good name for it yet, uh, develops over time. And how that's not really unique, massive diseases like this, this is not uncommon. It also reminds us that one thing we can all do when talking about COVID, have a little more humility. No matter how much you know about it, there's more to know. No matter how much you think you have right, there's probably something that you're misinformed on. 
would that our elected leaders and betters and experts do the same, but us as folks on our social media are all guilty too. We need to have humility. We need to have some patience. We need to understand that there's more to learn than that what we know about it. And we're going to do that today with Morgan Stevens. We're going to talk to her, her experiences with long COVID, her ability as a journalist to try to explain it to us. It's going to be a special episode of Heard Tell, uh, one, because I'm sick with COVID anyway, so it's an uh, apropos topic, but two, it's an important story that we're going to put some extra time in. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, Morgan Stevens on Heard Tell for most of this show, special edition of Heard Tell right after this. Uh, welcome back to Heard Tell. Really excited about this important story. Uh, I've been kind of working on this for a few weeks, getting it set up and excited to have Morgan Stevens with us. Uh, she is a journalist. Uh, she works out of the Los Angeles area. She's a production assistant for CNN, and she's wrote for them in the opinion sections, also written for HuffPost. How are you, ma'am? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to have you. Um, I wish it was over something else, but unfortunately, <laughs> this is going to be kind of about you. Uh, but before we dig into your particular story, though, I want to make sure everybody has the nomenclature right, because I think we've kind of gotten numb to some of the terms here. So when we're talking about long COVID, which is kind of the centerpiece of your story and what you've written about and what you're working on now, just define that for us right uh, quick about long COVID and what that actually means. Sure. So it's actually people debate what the definition of long COVID is still. But the way I would describe it in a nutshell would be, it is symptoms that persist after your acute COVID infection ends. And so those symptoms, um, you know, could be anywhere from brain fog, fatigue, um, insomnia, muscle weakness. Uh, it could go as far as neuropsychiatric symptoms like hallucinations. Um, and, and this is something that some people have it. Uh, they never end up getting well. They just go from acute straight into long COVID. And some people, they have their acute COVID infection for about two weeks. And then it's months later that they start to develop these other um sometimes neurological symptoms or um, symptoms that have to do with the autonomic nervous system, you know, so it's, it's prolonged COVID infection, <laughs> just of a different kind. The acute infection has resided and something else has been triggered in the body, but still we're, we're, we're still debating what long COVID actually is. Uh, and that's, you, you know, health experts, patients, we're all trying to still figure out how to define this, which makes it even harder. And the thing about this is, even if we're using the current numbers, we know the current Omicron is probably going to bounce these numbers even higher. Um, basing off what you said, if we're talking about 10% of people with COVID, we're looking at 6 million people, even if that 10% number is anywhere near accurate, that's a lot of people. It's a massive amount of people. And, and here's the tough part about this is, even the research on how many people go on to develop uh, what we consider long COVID now, the research ranges from 10% all the way up to 30%. So that's up to a third of people that could potentially have this very debilitating illness post virus, uh, which, I mean, if we're looking at a third, which is the kind of larger estimate 
that's around 17 million people. So it's, it's something that I don't think is going to be able to be ignored for much longer, especially with this wave, just because of the large amount of disability and disruption in our economic systems, right? Our, our workplaces, all of these things that are affected by people who millions who cannot work full time or work at all. Yeah. And the other thing about this is having acute syndromes based off a new illness is nothing new in medical science. We have a new disease show up and then they just have all this stuff they don't know how to explain because there's no year's worth of research yet. And they just deal it. Oh, well, this is blankety blank, whatever we're calling it, acute syndrome for a couple of years. And then they eventually start figuring it out. So this was kind of to be expected with a new disease like COVID. And this is the form it's taken, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's really tough because as a new illness, we, we know that post-viral illnesses are not new, right? But this virus is new. So the the particular um, symptoms that you get from this might be different from other post-viral illnesses. We don't know that yet. Let's just hypothesize that they are, you know, the the research is coming out showing that there's a lot of um, like the neurological and the neuropsychiatric symptoms, those, you know, that COVID crosses the blood brain barrier. Therefore you get this kind of cascade of symptoms. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really tough because it's a new illness and with anything new research takes time. It takes time and money to catch up. And so in the meantime, we have a lot of very sick people who are just waiting and unfortunately suffering a lot, um, not knowing how they're going to support their families, support themselves while being very sick and not having a lot of answers. Yeah. Morgan Stevens joining us. Uh, okay. It's a new disease, but when you went to try to explain it, when you wrote your very excellent piece uh, about this, you went very old school. You compared it to a Salvador Dali painting, uh, the famous, you know, melting clocks and things like this. That's a pretty graphic description. But when you go to talk about how you went from relatively healthy to feeling very, very poor, that's the imagery you went with. Walk us through those initial days when you first got COVID yourself. So... My family got COVID. Um, We all got it together in early November, but they started developing symptoms before I did. So I was actually quarantining and still working, covering the 2020 election from a hotel room. Um, I had a negative, I ended up having a negative COVID test, which was a false negative. Uh, And so eventually I tested positive a few days later and I returned back to the home um, had kind of a mild to moderate acute infection. And then I actually started to feel better and went back to work the third week after I tested positive, went back to work, um, was like, okay, I'm getting over this. I I could walk. I, you know, went on a walk with my husband. And then I remember it was the night after Thanksgiving that I woke up in the middle of the night and it felt as if the, we have a small dog. Um, and sometimes she'll like scratch herself on the bed and kind of shake it a little bit. And for some reason in the middle of the night, I woke up and I'm like, Oh, is the dog like moving, like scratching or moving? But really it was me because I was having these internal tremors. It felt like a kind of quivering was going on. Um, and you know, the day before I had started to feel a little bit unwell, um, just 
feeling more fatigued. You know, I felt like, oh, do I have a fever? But this is weird. I know that I'm not, I'm, it's been three weeks since I had COVID. Like I'm, and I, I'm, I'm okay, you know, but just something felt a little bit off. And then after that night was when it really kicked up. Um, I remember sitting with my parents the next day, they were watching some show and I, it was hard for me to follow the plot. And I remember it being, it was some like Netflix show with Nicole Kidman or like, I don't, I don't remember, but it was something where the plot was a little bit more intricate than just like a, Oh, let me throw in a sitcom. Right. And you had to follow. And I, I remember watching it and it took a lot of energy for me to kind of follow what was going on and remember the sequence of events. And it was, it, it was really hard because as a journalist, I had been covering COVID and we had done segments on long COVID actually. So while I started getting these really kind of odd symptoms, like the, the insomnia hit out of nowhere and it was relentless, it didn't stop. Um, the brain fog I started to deteriorate pretty rapidly within about a week. Um, you know, the, the kind of constant vertigo where you feel like you're on a boat, that's kind of what I described in that Salvador Dali description. I remember I woke up um, like I was jolted awake. I had this severe pain in my head. It felt like someone kind of knocked me over the head and it jolted me out of sleep. And then I woke up and the entire room was on this kind of spinning tilt. I didn't know if I was having a stroke or not. I was like, I, I didn't know what was going on, but I remember it was hard for me to, I, I you know, my husband was sleeping. I didn't want to wake him up. So I, I stagger kind of into the hallway. And I remember I'm like the, the my whole world was kind of tilting upside down, spinning and I couldn't got to the bathroom. I remember I couldn't form sentences in a cohesive way. Like I was looking at myself saying, okay, just say, hi, my name is Morgan. Or like, say, say something stupid, make sure that you can still speak. And everything was like very drowsy and slow. So of course I, I like, I smiled to make sure that I, you know, I, I know the symptoms for, or I know the criteria for checking stroke symptoms, right? Like you want to check and see if both sides of the mouth are smiling, if your eyes are crinkling, if you, you can move your arms. I did all that. All of that was okay. But, and still to this day, I don't know what happened in that night. I have no idea. Um, and it kind of just started deteriorating and getting worse and worse from there uh, until I lost the ability to function independently and communicate, um, breed, write, understand kind of what was going on around me. And uh, yeah, it, it, that, that persisted for about uh, four to five months. Yeah. And then you had the real fun and dignity. I know you talked about that you had been covering it at work and then you had the indignity of going to the emergency room and having the network you work for reference that, Hey, have you watched the show about COVID symptoms? Maybe this is what's wrong with you. Yeah. It, and, you know, I debated on whether or not I, I was going to include that in the piece because being a CNN employee, I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want my colleagues to think that like, you know, I was, I, I was, saying anything negative about, about them and their work, 
because really we've been doing excellent work on covering something that's unprecedented. Um, but it was very strange because it almost felt, it was almost one of those moments where I'm like, are, are you kidding me? Like I, I work for this, for this news network. I know that we are only going by what the experts are saying and you're supposed to be the experts. And so it left me in this place of like, okay, now I definitely know I'm in no man's land, right? I am, I am on an island. Um, and that, that interaction kind of set the stage for what was going to unfold um, between me and the medical est- establishment, I suppose, if you want to say, um, the next few months. Yeah. And we're going to dig into that with Morgan Stephens as we continue. Uh, what that medical establishment did, more importantly, what it didn't do. Uh, we're also going to talk about not just the physical effects, but the mental health effects that she struggled with. And then we're going to talk about her recent work on COVID that took her very far abroad trying to look for answers. So more with Morgan Stevens right after this. Welcome back to Hertel. Continuing with Morgan Stevens, this incredible story of long COVID that she is telling from firsthand experience. Uh, you called it no man's land. That sounds like a really good way to describe it because, like you said, uh, when the experts don't know either, uh, I've always told people from my own health thing, there's nothing scarier than a doctor looking at you and you know they don't know what to say. Um, that's, a, that's a humbling moment in life. Uh, you went through a very long process of just kind of being fending for your own and caring for your own with just you and your family. Uh, and that went on for quite a while, didn't it? Yes, it did. It felt like it went on for about three months, but it felt like an eternity. Some good news here, not to make it all negative, but uh, the power of modern technology in amongst us, though, you did uh, find some help. You found online community like a lot of us do. You used um, some social media and you found other people. Uh, this is something that has been pandemic wide for a lot of reasons, but especially for health patients, uh, folks that were sick and shut in. We used to call them back in the day at church, right? The sick and shut in. Um, but this really was a lifeline to you, wasn't it? It was absolutely a lifeline. There's four things that kept me alive during that time. It was my mom, my dad, my husband, and my support group. And I remember, you know, there were times where my, my, my family, they were so devastated and kind of experiencing the trauma with me. And so they were processing it too. So having body politic, um, you know, it's a, a support group that the platform is used through Slack. And so it's private, you have to be admitted to it. And so, you know, there's different channels for different symptoms. Like there's a neurological channel, there's a need to vent channel, there's a mental health channel. And so within those channels, people are kind of posting their own struggles or mentioning, Hey, did you see this new study that came out? And, and there was not only this exchange of medical information, um, through medical journals, recent research that had come out. But there was also something really special that took place is they actually started hosting a Zoom group 
And that's really when things started to change for me, because as, as wonderful as it was to have that resource, when I was sick early on, I didn't hop into the zoom group until I'd say early January. And my symptoms had been pretty bad the whole month of December. And, you know, hearing other real human voices on the other side um, and coming to a place essentially with strangers in such a vulnerable place in my life, the most vulnerable I think I've ever been. Um, And immediately having them embrace me. And, you know, a lot of these people were first waivers that were on this, this, this live zoom group. And I'm so grateful. I mean, they had nobody, right. They had nobody telling them it's going to be okay when they were going through all of this, but they were able to tell me that they were able to say, you know, at one point I had, I had shared with them that I was having some kind of scary thoughts. Um, you know, I shared in my piece that I had experienced some suicidal ideation and it, it was, it was really hard. Um, for a good two months, it was really hard. It was a fight. And I remember sharing that with them and immediately they started telling me you're not alone early on for me. I had those thoughts. I, you know, they shared their stories with me. They made me feel like, yes, I wasn't alone in it, but also they, they, provided the sense that it was going to get better. And no one else at that time could do that. Not even my family, as as pivotal as they were in my recovery, they couldn't play that role because they were in it with me. The people and the, the dear friends now that I, 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 they are dear, dear friends. They were able to provide that for me in a time when no one else could, not my doctors, not my family, not, um, my industry. And I will never forget that. Yeah. And I've been pretty open with my own experiences with healthcare and how that triggered some mental health stuff with myself. I don't know that folks that haven't been chronically ill or had serious illness, just try to explain to them for a minute, because when you're sick, like really sick, like bed fast type sick, you have nothing to do but think. And you can only stare at the ceiling so much and you can only whatever your physical ailment so much. And inevitably with people in long-term care, we've got all the studies in the world and COVID's probably going to prove to be the same. When, when you're just physically spent, uh, your, your mind is susceptible. Um, just talk to people for a minute because people that maybe haven't been chronically ill may not understand. I, I mean, I, I know I got to where I just couldn't stand seeing the walls anymore. And your world gets so small, it gets dangerous, doesn't it? Yes. Um, So setting aside the physical changes that that happened in my brain, um, let's just talk the, the, uh, the circumstance, right? Being sick that long, and not having any answers after months, um, it is incredibly, incredibly isolating. It's also when you don't know if you're going to get better or if you're going to to deteriorate until you can't make decisions for yourself, 
you go to a dark place because you start to think about quality of life. And you also, for me, I didn't want to one, be a burden on my family. If it was a situation where I was unable to care for myself, I I didn't improve and I couldn't function independently. Two, I didn't want to live that way. I didn't want to not be what made me who I was. I lost my intellect. I lost my personality. I lost my ability. My, I had no appetite. My ability to take a walk. My ability to communicate. All of these things that bring joy to our lives. That was diminished. And I think one thing that's kind of unique, at least with long COVID or my symptoms that I had with long COVID was all of the kind of distractions that we used to get us through difficult times, those were stripped away. I had severe sensitivity to light and sound and screens. So what, what normally might be kind of a vice, like let's watch some just trash TV, right? Let's just, we're not feeling great. Let's just watch something, have a distraction, get us through. That was out the window. Let's listen to some beautiful music that was out the window. And I'm someone who loves music. It's a huge part of my life. I, I couldn't even do a guided meditation because the sounds were so jarring. Um, and so having all of that stripped away left me in such a state. And this is compounded with the neuropsychiatric symptoms from COVID with all of that. I was seeking a way out. I was seeking relief because every moment of the day was suffering. And it's hard for people to understand also, because what I, something I want to highlight is when you have insomnia and you're also suffering relentlessly, sleep is such a respite, right? Sleep is, you don't understand how valuable sleep is for when you're in such a difficult physical state. And when that is also stripped away from you, it's, you feel like you're forced to endure this suffering every single moment of the day that there's no escape from it. And, and I didn't sleep for months. And, you know, my mother, my, my, my beautiful angelic mother who stayed with me through this whole time. I mean, there was a point, I'll be honest with you, nothing was normal in my household. There was a point where I had to sleep in my mother's bed because my husband was working and my mom was so worried about me. She was the one watching me at night when I was, it looked like I was shaking. You know, we didn't know if I was having seizures at one point, I got two EEGs and she would see me shake at night. And when I would be trying to sleep, I would just be shaking, you know? And when you can't sleep that for that long, things change quality of life, really, really goes to hell. And, um, it was really tough. It was really tough. And so I know that I'm not alone in this, not only because of the people that I've spoken with, the anecdotes that I've heard from my community, but even beyond long COVID, right. People, like you mentioned, the chronically ill who don't have answers and are bed bound, you know, what resources are we offering for them. It was two months for me to see a psychiatrist because it, because of the weight that's not okay. Yeah. We're talking to Morgan Stevens. 
Uh, we're going to let her get a drink for a minute because this is pretty heavy stuff. Uh, but there's good news coming. We're going to take a break and then we're going to get her out of those shadows and how she got back into the light of the world a little bit. She said it much more poetically in the piece. We'll touch on that. Also, we'll have her put her journalist hat back on, talk about how COVID's being carried and covered by folks. And also what took her over to Germany looking for answers to all this. We'll get into that with her right after this on her tell. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. We kind of left you in a really dark place. So how did you get out of that darkness? Uh, you wrote it this way. I thought it was a beautiful way to end your piece. You said, I want more for us, meaning the long COVID sufferers, with support from our healthcare providers and policymakers. I want those living in the shadows of long COVID to come out of a dark winter and heal in the sun. Uh, you've been open that you're not the same, but you are obviously here talking to us. You look good. You're articulate. Um, you're back working some, you're working on a book about these experiences. How'd you get from that point B to the current point C where, uh, that term everybody hates new normal. Uh, but for lack of a better way to put it, you're new normal now. Yeah. Well, it took, I mean, what are we, we're at over a year now. Um, since I got sick and it took a lot of trial and error. Uh, sometimes I felt like I was a Guinea pig with medications from my doctors, but I, I was at the point where I'm going to try things, see how I respond. Um, and eventually we found a good balance of medication that got me to sleep first and then got me kind of because once the sleep was taken care of, I could actually start the healing process. Um, so it took some time. Uh, I'd say it was a good, so we, my husband and I, we left North Carolina in February and we moved to California um, back to where we had come from. Uh, he's from California. And so some family had offered for us to stay with them while we looked for a place. And, you know, during that time we, we stayed with, um, my sister-in-law for about two months. And during that time, I think a lot of healing went on. I started, uh, I was at a post COVID clinic from my alma mater, started seeing a neurologist, a physical therapist and an occupational therapist. And, and during this time I, I still wasn't working, you know, so it went from not being functional when we arrived to, it was the little things it was okay. Today, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to make my own cup of coffee. That's how small the tasks were at the beginning. It was still hard to communicate, but it was, okay, I'm going to wake up this morning. I'm going to have a cup of coffee. I'm going to, you know, go take a glass, pour some cream in, and that'll be my task. And that's what I did. And then, you know, I do that for a few days. And then the next, the next task would be, this time I'm going to go to the fridge and I'm going to make myself a snack because those were the things that my brain, I remember opening the fridge early on when I was really sick and my brain couldn't compute how to put thoughts into action. I think they call it executive function and, and neuro speak. Um, and so doing these very little everyday, what a healthy person, right, would consider everyday tasks that you should be able to do without really thinking about. Those were big steps for me. 
it was also nice to, you know, we left from a, from a very cold winter in North Carolina. And so I think when I wrote that passage and I had written it once I had moved back to California, I spent those two months really just sitting in the, the Calif- the Southern California sun, right? Cause in February, March, and April, it's still warm in California. It's warm and sunny all the time. And that was such a blessing because, you know, and I'm, I'm not here to say the sun, the sun is going to heal you, but there was something about just putting my sick body out into the sunlight, into the fresh air, taking very, very short walks in nature Um, and then also incorporating daily meditation, you know, as time went on my hearing, um, or I should say my, my sensitivity to sound really improved. And so I was able to start doing very, you know, keeping the volume down on, on guided meditations very quietly. And I remember celebrating one time, (laughs) I was finally able to listen to a song again at very, very low volume. So as time went on, I started to know, okay, I'm getting better because all of these things that were impossible for me to do early on, I'm getting them back. They may be really slow and they may be really, um, you know, I'm not listening to like my headphones on full blast and like totally vibing out to some song. No, it's very, very quiet, but the subtle changes were very pivotal for me because one, it was an improvement in my symptoms, but I think most importantly, they provided hope. They provided me some sense of, wow, maybe I will, maybe this won't be forever, you know? And I, and, and I, I hate to bring God into it, but I did a lot of praying during that time. I wasn't a super religious person before I got sick and, you know, but my family was raised Catholic And my, my father is a very devout Catholic. And when I got sick every night, you know, we would pray and he'd um, pray with the rosary. And to this day, I have my, my, my grandmother, my late grandmother's rosary that I pray to and um, really getting in touch with spirituality, finding the right medications, letting time heal my body. And, you know, I also want to say, I think the healing is also, there's a little bit of mystery to it. And I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that I don't really know exactly what did what, what, what got me to, I can't function and communicate. And I'm, I feel like a vegetable of myself to now having this conversation with you and being able to work and writing a book about this. But, and you know, it's not easy. I'm not back to my pre-COVID baseline, but I'm far from those early days where I didn't know if I was going to survive it or if I wanted to survive it. Yeah. Morgan Stevens joining us. Uh, And that search for trying to find answers took you pretty far afield because now, you know, you're feeling better. So now you're trying to really understand what's going on. Uh, How did that lead you from North Carolina to California to somewhere that is definitely not sunny California and a place I'm very familiar with Germany. Uh, and you kind of still as a patient, but you also tried to put your journalist hat back on and you wound up in Germany. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, uh, someone, uh, in our group, our body politic group, she was kind of spearheading 
these, um, these different doctors and researchers to all kind of come and collaborate on this research that was going on with, with something called apheresis, which is a blood filtering process um, that their, Dr. Uh, Biete Yeager, she had started treating long COVID patients um, with this type of treatment uh, because what was formerly a treatment for high-risk cardiac patients and people with very high cholesterol, she had noticed that, okay, I'm treating these people with long COVID with this treatment and they're improving. And we know that COVID clots the blood, but what we don't know is if long COVID clots the blood and if people with long COVID are really suffering from vascular damage. So this research uh, was kind of groundbreaking because usually this, there was like, I don't know, nine to 10 doctors that were actually involved, doctors, researchers, and they were all sharing information, which is not really done in the, the, the research world. So it was a, in Mulheim, Germany, right outside of Dusseldorf. And it was interesting because I went there just to kind of observe what was going on, talk to patients, see what the treatment was all about, witness someone getting a treatment. Um, you know, I had gone out there with, so Dr. Yeager had kind of pulled me aside and said, would you like to participate in this study? You know, there was another, there was another researcher, um, Professor Risia Pretorius, who was from South Africa, and she was looking at the blood of long COVID patients. So both of those doctors, I knew that they, if there was something to find, I wanted them to look at it, right? And so I had this kind of moment of, okay, what do I do? As a journalist, we're taught to be objective observers and to keep our distance, but I've kind of already crossed that line because I'm reporting on my own illness. And if something's being offered to me to participate in, you know, research that might help other people with long COVID, not only would, hey, what if a treatment works and I do feel better, that would be great. But also like in the name of science, I kind of feel a responsibility to participate in the research. And so I had this kind of moment, I called one of my mentors um, and I spoke with her about it. She's, she's worked in journalism for more than a decade. And she was a editor, you know, editor in chief of, of a DC publication. And, and I just asked her, I said, is this okay? Like, I don't know what to do. And she said, Morgan, you're the story. You have to kind of acknowledge that like, yes, you're reporting on it, but you're the story too. And I think when she said that one, I, I really respect her opinion, but it also gave me permission to kind of lean into that role because this is unique. Um, being a journalist while also being a patient is blurring the lines of objectivity. But I also think that it brings a different type of reporting that you may not be able to get 
from someone else who hasn't experienced what this illness can do. It brings a type of in, insight and empathy and understanding. Um, and so I, I'm embracing that. Uh, but the research was fascinating, you know, uh, and, and this is something that I'm going to write about in my book is, so they found, they found some interesting things with my blood. Um, for most of the long COVID patients, they actually did find some, some microclotting that was going on. They, I didn't have a lot of microclotting, which is a good thing, but they found that I had a lot of, um, what they call hyperactivated platelets. It's like a, you know, a very medical speak jargony term for, um, the platelets in my blood that they have to do with immunity and inflammation, those were very inflamed. And then they also saw that I had something called endothelial damage because they saw in my blood work, there was a lot of that debris, which means that my blood vessels themselves were shedding the, the lining of my blood vessels were shedding, causing a lot of inflammation in my blood vessels. So this doesn't answer everything, obviously. But what it does point to is that there was a lot of vascular changes that has kind of been going on just with me, you know, me personally in my own blood work, which glad I'm not clotting, but there's obviously something that is not what you would find in a healthy person, right? You're listening to Heard Tell. Uh, We're going to continue with Morgan Stevens right after this. I, uh, to kind of bring this back to where we started in a way though, you're talking about being a journalist and being objective. I think the overarching story to COVID when we look back on it with some distance and we started with the statistics and I hate statistics because we're all numb to them now we're numb to the numbers as a just as a people I think COVID is just one of those really unique things in the history of the world where I don't think there's been too many things where every household on the planet had to deal with the same issue at roughly the same time that that's pretty unique in history COVID did that to us I understand there was waves and such but just about everybody on the planet had to deal with this in some way shape or form just kind of a way to put a bow on this though. Um, are we covering this properly? Because I don't know that there's a right way to do it because it's just too big of a story and it, it affects everybody differently. You know, you have people that get it and don't even have symptoms and there's people that it just kills them dead in a couple of days. And there's folks like you that are long haul. And then there's folks that hey, it was just like the flu, no big deal. How do you even cover a story like this when it's that broad? Or is it going to be one of those things where it's going to be, I can just tell my part of the story of it and then try to find other people. How do you think we should approach it both as an individual who obviously you have a story, but also as a journalist where you have to tell that story to a wider audience? That's a good question. And I don't know if I have exactly the answer to that. Um, All I can really say is that, of course, I wish that there was more long COVID coverage. Um, I I think anyone with some type of illness, they all want their issue, whether, yeah, even illness, whether it's, you know, or if it's immigration or if it's uh, small businesses, like whatever affects you, you want your issue covered more. But I will say that 
The only thing that's been a little bit disappointing is just kind of the lack of um, public health messaging that we haven't really gotten, you know, Biden had, had um, mentioned long COVID and, and saying that it qualifies for a disability. I remember um, kind of the end of summer of last year. And that's the last we've, we've really heard about it. Uh, and I, what I would like to see is just kind of accounting for it as a risk factor, right? Um, instead of this, this, this dichotomy of either you die or you're mild or asymptomatic, there is a more nuanced way to look at COVID. And I mean, if we're looking at the sheer numbers of how many people will develop long COVID, the small estimates are 10%, right? The larger estimates are about a third. Um, that is a lot of people. And it should be approached as such. It's also, not only is it a lot of people, but the severity of the illness should be kind of communicated. And I don't think people really understand. They're like, oh, you have fatigue. That means that it's hard to walk up some stairs and it's like, you get, you get tired and you're huffing and puffing. No, that's, that's, um, that's a misunderstanding. Long COVID is absolutely debilitating in a variety of ways. And when, when, when I think of fatigue, it's, I can't put thoughts into action to get a book out of a drawer. I can't make myself my own meals. I can't drive a car. I can't go to work. So when you have this large population that is going to not be able to be part of the workforce, be disabled, be suffering, it should be communicated and it should be included in public health messaging. Now, as far as journalists, I would say, you know, I'm going to go and report on probably mostly a patient perspective because that's my experience with it. And that's okay. I think we, we view kind of, it, at least the way we've been trained is to view um, objectivity as a, a, a bad thing. Or no, let me repeat that. The way we view objectiv objectivity is something to strive for. And yes, it is something to strive for. But I also think sometimes stories need more than just, these are the facts and let me lay them out this way. And he said this, and she said that, and that's the story. Sometimes I think we need to go a little bit deeper. And if that includes involving our own experience with something, then so be it. You know, I went into journalism thinking I was going to cover politics and be a um, very traditional, hard news journalist. And, you know, that may still happen, but I also am em embracing kind of the power of storytelling when it comes to really telling the truth about the darker things that can happen to someone. And if it has to be my own story, and if I have to be vulnerable like that, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Um, because this is an issue that I think deserves attention. And um, also, I want to make people feel less alone. 
because I know how alone I felt at that time. Yeah. And you telling the story will be a step towards that. And we really appreciate it. Uh, Morgan Stevens has been with us today. We went a little long with it, but it's an important story. So we wanted to cover it that way. Uh, and we appreciate your candor and your opening with us. I know this isn't the easiest thing to talk about, but uh, let people know where they can follow you on your social media and the other projects you have going. You mentioned that you're working on a book on this stuff. Uh, we've been citing your article and your great writing that you do on that. So when you do do you know the normal stuff like politics in the future, they know where to find you. Let folks know where they can find your stuff. Of course. Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at Morgan Stevens A. And... Um, you know, I, I, I'm working on a book right now. It's my first book. So I, I'm hoping that it will be out by early 2023. Uh, but it, it's it's a grand adventure. And it's an honor to write not only about my own experience, but to kind of dig deeper into how long COVID is impacting individuals, our healthcare system, our economy, and politics. Yeah, this is one of those things um, we talk about in the studies. This is a blast radius event. You talked about your family dealing with it. This is something that's going to have a blast radius for a long time to come. We're going to keep talking about it. Uh, we're definitely going to have you back. We're going to talk to you on the long form podcast as well. Hopefully in the near future, really dig into this. But thank you so very much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. And I hope folks got something from it. Thank you so much for having me. Morgan Stevens. Thank you so much, ma'am. I'll do it for her tell for this time. A little different episode, but that's okay. Uh, We don't just want to cover the hardcore politics or the latest cultural debate over this and this and that and the other. Uh, We want to touch on important stories. And the most important stories, all the good stories, are stories about people. And this story about COVID and how it affects people is going to be with us for a long time. We're going to be covering it in a lot of different ways over many, many years, no doubt. So it's a good thing to go ahead and start doing it now with folks like Morgan Stevens, and we appreciate her time today. We're looking forward to talking to her again on the deeper, in-depth podcast version. There's a lot there I want to get into that we just didn't have time for, but I appreciate her. So wherever you and yours are across the street and around the world, we hope you're well. We hope you're well-fed. We look forward to talking to you again tomorrow on Hertel. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.